Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Morning, everybody. Welcome to South Valley. Welcome to you that are online. We want to encourage you to come to your feet, put your hands together, and raise your voices up to the Lord. Make some noise for Him this morning. Give Him praise at home. Come to your feet in your living room, wherever you are, and give God some praise this morning. Come on, church. Sing these words up. Every voice who breaks the power of sin and darkness, whose love is mighty and so much stronger, the King of glory.
South Valley, how we doing this morning, y'all? Woo, we got that blood pumping. I hope y'all stretched this morning. If you didn't, I, I mean, like, I didn't stretch this morning. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it, but we're feeling the spirit, y'all. It's so great to be able to worship together in the house of the Lord and to boost the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, man. Well, we just want to welcome you. We're so glad that you're here today. And especially if you're here and, and this is your first time here or this is maybe one of your first times here, we want to just say thank you for choosing South Valley to worship with this morning. We're just so grateful that we can do so with you. Uh, whether you're new or someone who's been coming for a while, if you've not yet downloaded the Church Center app, we want to encourage you to do that. That app is incredible in terms of getting connected and knowing what's going on and to be able to easily handle just some of the things that we're just kind of tossing at y'all in terms of different things that are going on uh, in the church. So whether you're, you're in person with us this morning or if you're on Online with us this morning. We really want to encourage you to download it. So many different uses, including if, if you are new, there's a, a, a tab there that you can press that says, I'm new. And if you wouldn't mind just filling that out, that'll give us as a chance as a staff just to connect with you and to be able to uh, just reach out to you and answer your questions and be there to support you and encourage you in your, your walk with the Lord. And so please, if you haven't done so, go ahead and do that. Um, as, as a part of the South Valley family, our, our mission here at South Valley is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Like, that's what we are here for. And this next week, we're going to be uh, introducing something to you that's going to be brand new. Pastor Seth uh, and uh, Pastor Tim have been working very closely to put on what's called the Serve Initiative. And essentially what that is, y'all, is it's a way for us as a church body to figure out a little bit more about our purpose in terms of how we can serve and use the gifts that we have in order to serve. Uh, because we're not called to just, just sit in our faith, amen? We are sit to walk and to, and to run and to pursue Jesus and to bring everyone with us that we can. And so you've been equipped with certain gifts to be able to do that. And so we're going to be kind of introducing that a little bit more. We just want to kind of give you a little teaser with that for just a hot second. Pray about it. Ask the Lord how he might use you to, to serve uh, because it's, it's a beautiful thing when we get to glorify the Lord with the gifts that we've got. And so um, if South Valley is your home, uh, one of the things that you've come to know about us is that we are a giving church, y'all. We give because uh, we have been given much. Uh, and so we want to make sure that we are in that spiritual discipline of giving. Uh, and so we're going to put on the screen right now ways in which you can do that. You can give uh, here. Uh, you can give online. You can use the Church Center app. Again, another easy way to make sure that that gets done. Um, and it's just an opportunity for us to worship the Lord, another way for us to do that. And if you're here and this is your first time or viewing online and your first time, we don't expect anything from you. We truly want something for you. So please just, uh, you know, I was going to say let the plate pass by, but, you know, we ain't doing that. So, <laughs> but just know that uh, it's just a, an expression of worship that we have as a church family. Uh, and so we are just so grateful that we uh, can do that together uh, in so many different ways that we can gather, that we can worship and grow. And so we hope that this time for you this morning is a blessing. And we just thank you so much for being being here, we're going to continue on with worship, and have a wonderful morning, y'all. Looking forward to a great time together. So thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks, Marcus. Hey, church, as we come together every week, it's a brand new opportunity to come into the presence of the Lord and lift our hearts up to Him and give Him praise. And we know that there's seasons in life uh, where things don't always uh, go the direction we want them to do, and sometimes there's seasons in life where we're just on a, on a hilltop praising the Lord, and in all circumstances, we can come before the Lord and go, I'm giving you praise. We can come before the Lord and we can lay our burdens down. We can come before the Lord and we can praise him in all circumstances. So I invite you to come to your feet right now. I invite you to just think about what maybe you are holding on to. Maybe it's a praise. And go, God, I'm going to praise you because I'm just feeling your presence and God is good all the time. Maybe you're feeling burdened and you're going, God, I, I don't even know that you hear my prayer this morning. 
And I want you to give that up to the Lord and go, God, I'm gonna praise you in all circumstances because God is a God that delivers, but we have to be patient and know that God delivers on his time and it's all good because God is good all the time, amen? Faithfulness, faithful. 
let me hear you, church. I'm no longer happy voice, tell the Lord. I am a Sing that up again. I'm no longer, cause I'm no
Amen. Let's go to the Lord this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come into your presence with a spirit of humility, a spirit that just comes before you wanting to seek you, Lord. Dwell among us this morning. We are so thankful for having a God who is with us and walks with us through life, Lord. You are to be exalted. And as we spoke earlier this morning, Lord, in every season of life, you are there. Help us to know and rely on that fact that you are a God who never leaves us, whatever we go through, Lord. And this morning, as we come into your presence, speak powerfully through your word, Lord. Let us hear your voice. Let this be your time. Whatever distractions are going on, we pray that you would just cast those out. Help us to be focused on you, Lord. Thank you for those who have an opportunity to watch at home, that you would speak to their hearts as well, that they would tune in and hear your voice. You would dwell in their home wherever they are, Lord. Lord, we pray again for every heart, that you would restore it. Hearts that are going through difficult times, Lord. Hearts that may not know you, Lord, that they would be drawn to you and they would want to know your son as Lord and Savior, Lord. And we thank you again for being a God who is so amazing and awesome. All honor and glory go to you in your heavenly name. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, good morning, South Valley. How we doing? Woo-hoo. Hey, give it up for the band, huh? They did so good. You uh, y'all don't know me. Uh, my name's Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor of Stones Throw Away over at First Baptist Hanford. Um, and uh, I am excited to be with you and sharing this morning. Um, we, uh, uh, I want you to know a few things about me before we get started. First, a couple things I want you to know. Uh, I am married to a, a lovely, my lovely bride named Sarah Anderson of 14 years, which is great, exciting. I know. Let's close in prayer with that, right? We can't get, no. Um, and uh, I have five, uh, five boys. Um, yeah, I know, I know. So it goes from applause to dread real quick. I get it. Uh, no, we have five boys aged four to 12. Um, if you make me name them, I'll have to do it in order or else I'll mess it up and throw a dog's name in there and all that stuff um, because that's just what we do. Uh, but uh, for me, I grew up I grew up a, a Central Valley kid. Um, didn't grow up like in the Hanford area. I grew up up in, uh, in Atwater, California. Um, and actually, the, I got a woo for Atwater. I'll take it. Let's go. That's never happened in the history of me teaching a woo for Atwater. Yeah. Uh, so my family, actually, the whole reason my family uh, got up to Atwater is because my grandfather was in the Air Force and he was stationed at a place called Castle Air Force Base. Um, and so because of that, uh, we just kind of stayed there um, afterwards. And I know there's probably a lot of you who are kind of in the same vein with, uh, I mean, it's no NAS Lemoore, uh, you know. But, uh, but uh, I'm very, very grateful for growing up in the place there that, uh, that we did. Uh, and about three years ago, um, I was working at a, at a church down south, a church uh, in, uh, in Apple Valley, California, um, and I sat down um, with a balding Irish man in a sports coat one day um, by the name of Gilbert Foster. Um, I know, you're like, wait, I know that guy. Yeah, Gilbert, there's only one balding Irish guy in a sports coat, okay? Um, and uh, and we sat down at a Starbucks when you could still do that, and uh, we talked for a little bit, and he talked to me about the possibility of, uh, of pastoring a church in Hanford. And, uh, and while I was reluctant, because everything knows two things about Hanford, right? The water is terrible, 
but we have the best, best darn ice cream in the world. And so because of that, we're like, hey, it's kind of a little bit, little bit of a, uh, a wash. But, but long story short, I went through the same process that your brand new senior pastor, Ricky Hemi, went through uh, as well and got started to work a, a stone's throw from here. And just for a second, let me, let me build up your new lead pastor Okay, uh, I know. Yeah, let's let's cheer for him and not Atwater. Um, I, uh, I I have yet to meet Ricky face to face, so let me be very very clear about this. I've yet to meet him face to face. I know many of you have, but but while he was in the candidating process, Ricky actually got a hold of my phone number from a mutual friend, and he called to talk to me about all things kind of Hanford, Lemoore, South Valley, FBH, the Capital C Church school districts, distinctives for the area, like all things. And we talked for over an hour on the phone, as a matter of fact. Um, and, and can I just tell you that I meet a lot of pastors. Like that's just kind of part of my job is, you know, networking and meeting other pastors and that sort of thing. So I meet a, a lot of pastors. Some of them are good. Some of them are not so great. Uh, Ricky is incredible. I just want you to be aware of that for a second. Um, and uh, I hope he's watching right now. Ricky, if you're watching, you owe me lunch. Um, so good job voting this guy in. This church will grow and stretch in ways that you never have. And I am convinced, I am personally convinced that the best years of South Valley Community Church are ahead of you. So... As we're talking, though, as Ricky and I are talking, we brought up what I, what, what I call the capital C church, the universal church, right? Not like just SVCC or FBH or anything like that. The universal Christian church that, that exists in Kings County. And he wanted to know kind of how connected the pastors were, what things that we've done together, right? How, how are we praying for one another and on and on and on. And we do, we do quite, quite a lot of those things already, but... Uh, that said, one thing that was important to him was unity among the churches in the community. And I think that's really important. I think it's incredibly important as well. Okay, but interestingly enough, there is a guy by the name of Wynn Arn. Okay, Wynn Arn is a church consultant, and he surveyed members of nearly a thousand churches. And he asked the question, why does the church exist? Why does the church exist? So I'm going to let that hang for just a second. I want you guys to turn to the person you came with real quick and just answer that question. Why does the church exist? We're going to stretch your theological muscles this morning. Go ahead. That's good. I appreciate that, but I didn't come with you. Share with the person next to you. <laughs> appreciate that answer, though. <laughs> okay. So he asked that question. And of the, of the members surveyed, 89% said the, perp, the church's purpose is to take care of my family and my family's needs. 89%. That's not a minority. That's, like, that's a good grade. Like some of y'all were hoping you would hit 89% at some point, right? Like, that, like that's legit. Uh, that is a legit number there. So for many, the role of the pastor is simply to kind of keep the sheep that are already in the pen happy and not lose too many of them. Like, that, like for a lot of like that's the goal. Like if, I could, if we can get a pastor that would come in 
and not like shake the boat too much and everybody just kind of stays in the pen and, and we get the food that we want like, and, and he doesn't mix things up too much, then okay, that's the senior pastor's job. That's his role. Only 11% of people said the purpose of the church is to win the world for Jesus Christ and that's a sad statistic. Then the pastors of those same churches, the pastors of those churches were asked the same question. Were asked why the church exists. And amazingly, the results were exactly opposite. Exactly opposite. Of the pastor survey, 90% said the purpose of the church was to win the world. And 10% said it was to care for the needs of the members. So it's probably pretty obvious why we have conflict and why we have confusion and stagnation in so many churches today. Nothing precedes purpose. Nothing does. The starting point for every church should be the question, why do we exist? Why do we exist? And until we know what the church exists for, and not just SVCC, the capital C church, until we know what the church exists for, we will have no foundation, we'll have no motivation, we'll have no direction, and we definitely won't have unity. And that's difficult. It's one of those things that, that, that we continue to flesh out at FBH. And I'm going to get, get the scripture in just a second because I know you type A's in there like we haven't opened our Bible yet. We'll get there. Just give me a second, okay? But we're fleshing this out at, at FBH. And let me just give you some insight as to what is going to happen when Ricky comes on board. Because I've lived it. I've lived it. The, the, the past three years of my life, actually, I've walked through exactly what Ricky is about to walk through. And I'm going to tell you this, and some of you guys are going to shake your head and you're be like, that's not us. It is. It's all of us. Because we're broken, because we like our own preferences, because we came to a church at some point because we liked the way the church felt. So this is what's going to happen. Ricky's going to get here and you guys are going to like him. You guys aren't just going to like him, you're going to love him. Okay? He's going to get here and he's like fresh and like young and like he doesn't have any wrinkles yet. Give it a couple years. Like he's got his hair slicked over, like he's not receding at all. Like he looks good, right? I looked at a photo of him, I'm like, congrats to this guy. Okay, and you're going to love it. And it's going to be six, six months. You're going to think that this guy walks on water. Because what's going to happen, he's young, he's got his family with him, he's got his kids, he's got his wife. And all of a sudden you're going to start seeing more young families show up here. Because he's young and he's a young family. And when people come to church, they want to see themselves represented on stage. And so because of that, with Ricky's here and his energy, man, young people are going to come in. And you're going to be like, this is what we've been waiting for. This is what we were looking for. We wanted someone young and vibrant to bring in a new generation of church. And it's going to be awesome. And you guys are going to do that for like six months. And then, then something's going to happen. I don't know what happens at six months and one day, but the honeymoon ends. Okay, and when that honeymoon ends, something like, like, like he is going to, he's going to do something that was going to offend you. He's going to change something. Ricky's going to change, and I don't know what it is, okay? I don't have any secrets or anything like that. Like, like I said, I've only talked to him a handful of times. Okay, but Ricky is going to, going to change something between like months seven and nine. And some of these changes you are going to personally disagree with. 
You are personally going to be upset about the changes that Ricky has made. You're not going to understand them. You're going to think the way that we've done things is fine. This has been good. You're going to wonder why ministries have been shut down or changed. You're going to be frustrated that rooms have been moved. Or maybe the way that you do communion has now changed. But we've always done communion this way. He may even tinker with programs that in your head currently you think are perfect. Perfect. He may change it. And then after that, after like months seven through nine, year and a half, like you guys are going to start to get momentum, and then there's going to be a pandemic. Just kidding. That was just me. I was just kidding. That was just me. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Um, And at that point, though, at that point, you're going to have two options. You can either get frustrated and you can leave because your personal preferences are not being met, or you can recognize that the church doesn't exist for programs you prefer. It does not exist for music you like. It does not exist for your preferences. It it exists for equipping the saints and the evangelism of the world. That's why it exists. And the sooner you can recognize that, that church is not about you, the easier this transition is going to be. Everyone, one more time, turn to the person you came with and just say to that person, the church doesn't exist for my preferences. Say it. Say it. Say it. Good. So now I'm going to tell Ricky, you all said that, and you can't go back on it. That was your words. So it begs the question, though, what does the church really exist for? What does the church really, the early church knew why they existed. And they were unified in that purpose as a matter of fact. Acts 4, 32 to 33, it says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and soul. How many heart and soul? One. Were of one heart and soul. And with great power, the apostles were given testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was on all of them. Okay, Jesus had enlisted these followers, his apostles, not to a life of leisure, but to a life of service. And while each person had a different task, all of them had different tasks, they all had the same calling. Their calling was to fulfill the Great Commission in their generation. All the apostles thought that the, that the Great Commission was going to be fulfilled when they were still on earth. That was their goal. They didn't have time for niceties. They had time to serve, and that was it. They had one leader, Jesus. They had one purpose, to communicate the gospel to all people. These early disciples did more for the spread of Christianity than any generation has ever done since then. And what was their secret? What was the secret sauce that the disciples knew about that we have fallen short of since then? The first thing we need to recognize, they had unity in the church of God. That's in Acts 4.32. They had unity in the church of God. All the believers shared in this unity. Not a couple of them, not like, oh, well, this house church over here believed in one thing, but we're going to go believe in another thing. Over they, All the believers were unified. There was fundamental solidarity of love and purpose. 
To be one in heart and mind is to be unified in every single fiber of their being. They didn't care about specific ministries. They didn't care about specific programs. Okay, programs were made for people. People weren't made for programs. They understood that the call to proclaim Christ superseded everything. And because of that, like they, they were family in relationship. That's just how they interacted with each other, good or bad. Some of you are like, I hope they were my family in relationship. I get that. Okay, but they were family in relationship. They, say, they shared the same spiritual father. They, they shared the same spiritual birth. They were born again into the family of God. And some of you old Southern Baptists will appreciate this. Okay? Some of you old Southern Baptists, and I know there's a handful of you in here because I have a handful over at my church as well. There's a famous singing group who were part of the Gaither family. Anybody Gaithers? Yeah, some of you are like, let's go. Let's get some Gaither music up in here. Okay, but there's a song that Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote, and it describes the family in this relationship. It says, I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I am part of the family, the family of God. Right? I'm not going to sing it. I know some of you are like, Let's go. no, not going to happen. But beyond being family, these early believers, beyond being family, they were friends in their fellowship as well. They shared their lives and their possessions with one another. It went beyond a kind word and a pat on the back and how was your weekend, right? And I'm not trying to diminish that. Actually, when I walked in, man, I got greeted by like 15 people. Like that, I, I was super, I felt great walking in here. I felt like a rock star. Thank you for making me feel good. But that falls woefully short of what the early church was actually walking through. Right? They were, they were friends, like beyond family, they were friends. They gave priority to meeting the physical and practical needs that were evident in the community. Right? Chuck Swindoll wrote, churches need to be less like national shrines and more like bars. Less like untouchable cathedrals and more like well-used hospitals. Places to bleed in rather than monuments to look at. Places where you can let your hair down. Places where you can have your wounds dressed. Right? The early disciples found that, in their, found that in their early community of faith. That's who they were. They were family. They were friends. And beyond that, they were even partners in mission. These men and women, they, they shared an enterprise together. They didn't assemble merely for family gatherings or only make sure that physical needs were met. They came together in order to attain an objective. They were on mission. These men and women were partners in reaching the world for Christ. Right? They, they linked arms, not just for their convenience and their comfort and their support, but to be able to reach out to those not yet linked up with them. To be able to reach out to those who had not yet been found. I read a, uh, of a story about a three-year-old girl. She got lost in a field. Right? And, and people were wandering around trying to find this girl. And they were about to give up. They've been searching all day. Let's call it a night. And then they came up with the bright idea, hey, let's all just link up arms, make one big row, and let's all walk together and see if we can find this lost little girl. Shocker. 
They found her as soon as they were willing to link arms and walk with one another to accomplish an objective. Church, we're in the life-saving business. And that endeavor is accomplished best when we understand that we are a family of friends in partnership with one another. But what else was the secret sauce? Let's, let's look at four, Acts 4.33. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And the great grace was on all of them. Let's read it again. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was on all of them. So we can see here, they experienced the power of God. And without purpose, we have no steam to move forward. Without purpose, there is activity without accomplishment. There is efficiency without effectiveness. And the church, like our responsibility is to accomplish a task. It's not just to put on more programs. It's not just to meet our own needs. It's not a social club. And if you want a social club, go find someone somewhere else where you don't have to talk about Jesus and feel obligated to pray at the end. That's not our responsibility. Think of light for just a second, okay? Think of light for just a second. Diffused light. Diffused light has no power at all. Zero power, right? It's why we all have lampshades, so it can give off a a nice glow and not blind ourselves after you buy the wrong amount of lumens for your new LED light bulb, right? But by focusing the power of the sun through a magnifying glass, we can set a leaf on fire. And when light is concentrated at, at even a higher level, like a laser beam, it can cut through a block of steel, Right? The early disciples had, had a laser-like focus on their purpose, and the corresponding result was power. That power was evidenced by the growth of the church. In a matter of weeks, the church went from being, like, being just like up in the upper room to every single living room in Jerusalem. It's estimated that during the first 25 years of the Jerusalem church, It grew from 120 people to over 100,000 people. That's power manifested. That's people behind one purpose, pushing forward. And we also need to recognize that, that, that the power, like this power that they have, this allowed them to withstand attacks from the enemy. And this is real. We're going to talk about this a lot, right? Some of you pride yourself, like, I'm not a hyper-spiritual person. Is always how you start those conversations, right? Like, I'm not a hyper-spiritual person, but, man, I felt some attacks from the enemy. It's real. And so as soon as the Holy Spirit came on the church, in Acts chapter 2, as soon as the Holy Spirit came upon the church, Satan launched a ferocious counterattack. Okay, Pentecost, what we just celebrated a couple weeks back, in Acts chapter 2, okay, Pentecost was followed by persecution. It came immediately afterwards. First, there was physical violence, right, as, as church leaders were thrown into prison. Then there was moral corruption, evidence through Ananias and Sapphira to insinuate evil into the interior life of the church and then thus ruin 
the fellowship of believers there. And then third, there was this like subtle ploy of, of professional distraction to deflect the apostles from their priority of prayer and preaching by preoccupying them with this like social administration, which wasn't their calling. So in each case, the church withstood the attack and stayed true to its purpose of reaching people for Christ. This is what is going to happen when Ricky gets here. The last thing the enemy wants to see is South Valley flourish. To be a church to be reckoned with in our community. To have a congregation that doesn't exist for Sunday, but to have a congregation that exists for Christ 365 days a year. You need to expect division. You need to expect corruption. You need to expect people to want to focus on anything but the mission at hand. God has given us a supernatural power by indwelling his believers with his spirit. Don't get distracted by the nonsense. And some of that nonsense comes on the heels of the last year and a half that we've had. Right? There's a diversity of opinions in this room. That's great. There's a diversity of opinions in this room. The same was true for early Christians. But they quickly realized that their diversity could either be a source of division or a source of power. That's what they learned. They chose the latter. They weren't all alike. There's a ton of opinions, a wide assortment of gifts, but they found ways to integrate all of their differences into a unique and powerful organization to create singleness of spirit, to create singleness of identity and of purpose whose unifying center was Jesus. In short, they kind of resemble the symphony. They may have played different notes from the person sitting next to them, but their variety, diversity, it created a much more magnificent sound than if they were all on the same instrument playing the same note. Unity exists amid diversity because we all follow the same musical score. We all have the same purpose. And amid all of this, they discovered the favor of God again in Acts 4.33 again. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and... Great grace was given on all of them. God's favor, great grace was given on all of them. Because of the fact that the early disciples were, were unified in purpose and because they were committed to the task of, of reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, God smiled down on them with favor. Right? More literally it says, and great grace was given on all of them. On all of them. The, the, the word grace, for those of you who kind of glaze over it now, right? that word, it's, it's Christianese for unmerited love or favor. It's love you don't deserve. It's love I don't deserve. Favor I don't deserve. Because they were generous, God was generous. And because they were committed to the mission, God smiled down on them with favor. 
Because their heart broke over the same things that broke the heart of God, God smiled upon them. It seems to me that there exists, both as individuals and a church, a direct correlation between our faithfulness to God's plan and God's favor in our lives. If we want to experience God's blessing, we need to first be obedient to his purpose. And I'm not saying like that's a guarantee. Hear me on that. I'm not saying like, hey, if you do exactly what God told you to do, you're going to become a millionaire tomorrow. Not going to happen. Okay? Powerball odds still remain the same. But in that movie, Chariots of Fire, you guys remember that movie, Chariots of Fire, the one with the slow motion running and the white clothes for whatever reason, right? Some of you guys are like, nope, never watch that movie. Watch it. There's a guy, that, and it's based on a true story, a guy by the name of Eric Liddell. He tried to explain to his sister why he, why he uh, chose to prepare for the Olympic Games rather than immediately return to China as a missionary. He said, when I run, I feel his pleasure. He found his purpose and ran to Olympic stardom. And following his Olympic feat, he returned to the mission field in China where he too felt God's pleasure. Or as the novelist Robin James Gunn said, if you agree to say yes to God's purpose for your life, you'll never be bored again with Jesus. And because of all of this, they were the answer to the prayer of God. Hear that. Because of all this, everything that we've talked about, the early church was now like an answer to a prayer of God. So on the last night of his life, Jesus prayed a prayer that stands as, as a citadel for all Christians. And it's John 17, 20, 20 to 21 and 23. It says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through, the mess, through their message. May they all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so the world may believe you sent me. I am in them and you are in me. May they be made completely one so the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. See, these words were precious. This wasn't just some throwaway pre-dinner prayer that Jesus was embarking on here. Jesus knew the end was near and so Jesus prays one final time for his followers. It really is his last kind of formal recorded prayer. And who does he pray for? His followers. Striking, isn't it? Like with, with, with death breathing down his neck, Jesus prayed not for their success, not for their safety, not for their happiness. He prayed for one thing. He prayed for their unity. That's what Jesus prayed for as they would fulfill his purpose. He prayed they would love each other as they went forward to love the world to him. Right? He prayed for, for his disciples and all of those who had come to faith in Jesus. That means you, that means me, and in his last prayer, Jesus prayed that you and I would be one, unified in spirit. So of all the lessons we can draw from these verses, don't miss the most important one. Unity matters to God. Again, I know you've heard messages like this saying, hey, it's not about your preferences, it's not about your preferences, probably in a Scottish accent in you know, the last year. 
And he said that so many times, I'm sure many of you are angry with him. Well, guess what? It's not about your preferences, so get over it. But don't miss that important piece. Unity matters to God. The father doesn't want his kids to squabble. Disunity disrupts him. Why? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 13, 35. All people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Not if you have the best worship service, not if you have the right programs, not if you have the friendliest greeters, but if you love who? One another. Not the world, one another. Unity in the body. One of the biggest things I think Christians miss is this, is that that unity creates belief. Think about that for a second. Unity creates belief. How will the world believe that God sent Jesus? Not if we agree with each other. Not if we solve every single controversy. Not if we are unanimous on each vote. Not if we never make a doctrinal error. Not if we sing all of the best songs that have ever been released or all of the oldest songs that have ever been released. Whichever side of the spectrum you fall on. Okay, that's not how they are going to know that we are Jesus' disciples. We, they will know we are disciples if we love each other. So if unity creates belief, then disunity fosters disbelief. How can the world come to believe the gospel if those who already believe in the gospel are battling among themselves? Right When the world sees Catholics and Protestants dueling over power and territory in Northern Ireland, right, or, or, or young and old members of the same congregation dueling over worship styles, or a church splitting over the color of the new carpet, it's happened. It says, thanks but no thanks. Christians have the same issues that everybody else in the world has. You want to know a secret? You know the secret to reaching Gen Z? You guys know who Gen Z is? It's the one that you guys all complain about, and I complain about them too. Don't understand it. They do things like, shee, and you guys are like, what are they doing? <laughs> Only parents of junior hires got that joke, and I appreciate that. Okay? But those, like, like those kids who are in, in, in high school and college, like it's not millennials anymore. I know like millennials get a bad rap. Everybody's like, oh, millennials. I'm a millennial. Right? Like, I'm 36 and I have five kids, and people are like, oh, those millennials don't have, you know, they have no responsibility. I'm like, get out of here. I'm 35. I'm, I have a receding hairline. I have responsibility. I got gray hairs. Trust me. Right? Like, like this next generation of people coming up who need to know who Jesus is. Let me tell you a hard truth in here. They don't care if it's true. You hear that? They don't care if it's true. And I'm just going to let it sit right there for a second before I finish my sentence. Because all of you are very uncomfortable with that right now. I'm uncomfortable with that. But the next generation does not care if Christianity is true. You want to know what they care about? They care if Christianity works. Does it work? Is there unity in the body? If I walk into a church, does the church look different than the world does? Or if I walk into the church, am I going to see the same squabbling and same fighting and jockeying for power? Well, I want my prayer. I want this. I want this. Forget about it. I'm going to leave because I get the same thing outside and they're not as judgy. 
The nice thing about all of this is if it works, it is indeed true. And so I am not saying abandon truth. I would never say that. Doctrine is incredibly important. But there's two words that we need to understand. There's orthodoxy. That's right, belief. Most of you have heard that word, orthodoxy. There's another word, though, that's on the other end of the spectrum, orthopraxy. Orthopraxy means right living. And you have to hold both of those things firmly in your hands as a Christian. If you're only holding one, if you're only holding the orthodox side of things, there's not going to be unity. If you're only holding this one, you're only holding living, man, you're going to slip and fall into the world. You have to hold both of them perfectly. Disunity is a stumbling block for the next generation coming to faith. Paul Bilheimer says, may, uh, may very well be right when he says, the continuous and widespread fragmentation of the church has been the scandal of the ages. It has been Satan's master strategy. The sin of disunity probably has caused more souls to be lost than all other sins combined. Could it be, could it be that unity is actually the key for reaching the world for Jesus? Could it be that reaching Kings County for Jesus Like the key of that is unity. And so if unity is the key to fulfilling the God-ordained purpose of spreading the message of Jesus, shouldn't it take precedence in our prayers? Shouldn't it take precedence in our actions? If unity matters to God, then shouldn't unity matter to us as well? If unity is a priority in heaven, then shouldn't it be a priority on earth? If unity is such a big deal then why are we all white-knuckling our pet projects rather than elevating our sight lines to see that the purpose of the church is not to make you feel good. The purpose of the church is to put you on mission into the world. Nowhere, by the way, nowhere, by the way, are we told to build unity. You know that? I'm saying, hey, you got to be unified. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible to build unity. The Bible says we are, we're, like, we are instructed simply to keep unity. From God's perspective, there's only one flock and one shepherd. Unity does not need to be created. It simply needs to be protected. How do we do that? How do we make every single effort to keep unity? Does that mean we compromise our convictions? Absolutely not. Does that mean we abandon the truths that we cherish? Absolutely not. But it does mean that we look long and hard at the attitudes in which we carry Unity doesn't begin by examining examining others. Unity begins by examining yourself. Unity begins not in demanding that others change, but admitting that we aren't perfect ourselves. Unity grows as we learn to accept others' differences and forgive them what we have wronged. Unity continues as we humbly serve those who are different. Like, that's what unity is. Unity is favored as we lovingly take the message of Jesus to a divided world. That's what unity is. That's our purpose as the capital C church, is unity. And I'm just going to speak candidly for a second, and I'll, I'll let you guys leave. I've yelled at you enough. <laughs> SVCC, you have gone through hell. You have gone through hell. We have been praying for you. 
We love you. We love you. And I don't say that for like, hey, we're praying for you. No. Legitimately, we've been praying for you. I've had long conversations with Gilbert. I've had long conversations with other members of your staff. I've got an opportunity to talk with, with Ricky. And while the answer to what can we do is usually prayer, I need you to hear something. Kings County needs a healthy South Valley Community Church. Amen. Kings County needs a unified South Valley Community Church. And while I understand healing is necessary, and I think you guys have a ways to go with that because of what you, go, you have gone through, I also need, need you all, as not just a pastor in the community, but as a brother in the faith, to get ready to run on mission. To jump in with a vision that God has given Ricky for this community for, for a long time. For a long time, SVCC was one of our biggest weapons in this community for bringing people to Jesus. And the kingdom of God doesn't have time for disunity. We need a healthy SVCC. We need a unified SVCC. So put the nonsense aside and get ready to be on mission. Amen, church? <clears throat> do me a favor. I don't normally do this. We're going to close up, but why don't you stand with me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, God, thank you for South Valley Community Church. God, thank you for the weapon that it's been in our community. Thank you for the people who have come to know you because this church exists. God, thank you for what you have done through this church. But God, I pray today that it would be a long ways from over. God, I pray that regardless of what has been done, that we would recognize that the greatest days for SVCC are ahead of it, that the way that, that you are going to work in and through Pastor Ricky, through the staff, through the volunteers, through the unity of your church, God, that hell's gates won't be able to stand against it. So God, I pray for unity now. God, I pray as there's eight, nine short weeks until Pastor Ricky gets here. God, I pray that we would be able to elevate our sight lines towards unity with one another. That we would recognize that, that unity stirs belief. That unity is what makes us dangerous. And so even as Ricky comes in and, and maybe things get, get changed or tinkered with or, or even completely and totally uh, killed, God, I pray that we would be willing to elevate those sight lines. Say, hey, it's not about this program. It's not about how we do things specifically. It's about reaching Kings County for you, Father. And so, God, I would just pray right now that we would just be willing to humble our hearts. 
that we would allow you to take the throne in our souls and that we would just say yes to you over and over and over and over again until we have unity in spirit. Father, if those, those here maybe today or joining us online who have not yet said yes to you, it's like, I want this unity piece. I want to serve Jesus. This is what I want. If that's you today, pray along with me right now. Say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I admit that, Father. And I can't do it apart from you. But B, I believe that you sent your Son to die on the cross for me. And not just to die, but he was resurrected three days later. I believe that, Father. And now, see, I choose to follow you every single day of my life. I choose that. And whether it's for the first time today or for the thousandth time for some of us, God, that choice would be unity in the body. Father, we love you. Go before us. Go before SVCC. Go before Pastor Ricky. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for having me, church.